0: Gateway, good day to you. Kyle here. So glad to be here with you on the third week of Advent. If you remember, when we started Advent, we started with hope. And Ace Crow, good friend of myself and our church, he, he led us into the watching and the waiting. That is what we do in Advent. We anticipate the coming of the Lord. And so, uh, you may be surprised to know this. I learned this recently that for the most of church history, Advent was less about uh, the birth of baby Jesus, which is the story we love to tell, Charlie Brown, the whole thing. It, it was less about that. That's Christmas. And it was more about the second coming of Jesus. It, it was about anticipating what would be coming to to us in the midst of our present reality. See, that's what we're doing here as we think about these different themes of of hope and love and joy and peace. As we read God's word, these aren't uh, just lines on a page or a screen. These are the inspired words of the living God. Today, we just receive from the, the Revised Common Lectionary, we're reading the Psalm of the day, It's Psalm 126. I'm reading out of the ESV. If you uh, are going analog at home, you can flip your way on over there um, or follow along here. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word with me. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. As was indicated in the lighting of the candle, today we are talking about joy. Specifically from Psalm 126, But at the center of our teaching text are these three words, we are glad. And these words from the psalmist, they're an invitation to return to joy. In fact, the whole bulk of our teaching is going to be about this, this thing of returning to joy. And understand that in the holiday season, these words may or may not map onto your lived experience. We are glad, those three words, they may feel a bit chintzy, disingenuous, uh, challenging. Maybe they're just a little bit annoying for you. Uh, For you, if if the holidays feel that way, if feel a bit like, I don't know, a frenzy, they're annoying, you're a bit emotionally agitated this time of of year, plus a, a pandemic, then it's it's likely that these two things coming together and then talking about joy feels like uh, the seventh layer of Dante's, like, circles of hell. Uh, this is only going to make things worse. And so I just want to, if that's you, I just want to press pause. <laughs> there is a great hope for us today. Whatever your emotional state, however these words settle in your heart and your spirit, they are designed to help us, to help us return to joy so that we might take heart here and now in this season. See, much of what I am learning about the 126th Psalm comes uh, by way of Eugene Peterson, his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. and In this book, a book all on the Psalms of Ascent, uh, he has this uh, this line, or excuse me, he he remarks on this line, we are glad, as the pivot point of the whole psalm. And he marks out this observation with these words that have uh, I've really been unable to shake this past week. The words go like this, present gladness has past and future. And I really wanted Peterson to say, has a past and future, but he doesn't. Present gladness has past and future. And to be sure, Peterson is referencing the psalm's structure. So verses one to three are about the past. At the end of verse three, well, that's about the present, and verses four to six, you get it, that's the future. But that's not all. This is not just a statement or an observation about the poem's literary structure. Because this song would be sung by the Israelites. It would be sung by the Israelites on their way up to to Jerusalem, the holy city for high holy days, sung to reorient their whole lives to God's restoring story. These are potent words on the lips of the Israelites. As, As Jan Johnson, the spiritual director, says, this song is about the return to joy. So, what is joy? <laughs> to, to help us kind of get at this state of being, uh, think about this scenario. I recently heard a pastor describe joy in this way, and I just thought it captured it so well. It it's activated my imagination in a really helpful way. So, I just wanted to share it with you all today. Uh, imagine this: we, we've we've gone through the liturgy. The Spirit meets you in a fresh way. You share in a meal. It's a beautiful day, and then it's tonight. (laughs) It's later in the day. And you're sitting there doing whatever you do later in the day on a Sunday, and your phone rings. And you see it's an unknown number, so obviously, like most humans, you uh, let that phone call go to voicemail. But then you see it immediately rings again. So you do the same thing, and then it rings again. And again, and so at this point, you're slightly annoyed, but you honor the persistence of the said caller. And as you pick up the phone, you quickly realize that this isn't just an automated call, it's a real human. And this person is a uh, local CDC representative. Now, I'm not an expert on CDC stuff, um, so I'm just assuming maybe they have these, maybe they don't. Keep this going for our little scene here. So this CDC local representative calls you and they say, that a miracle has taken place, and there is now a non-invasive intervention for COVID. It is going to be accessible everywhere. It, it is of no cost to the public. It's globally accessible. Um, it's like it's everything that you've been hoping for, and it's available right now. It's like at your drugstore, at schools. They're distributing it to businesses to give, and it's instantaneous. Now, what do you feel? I know this is a scenario, but if you're like me, like you kind of want to clap a little bit. There's like a like a collective sigh of relief. There's gladness, exuberance. Maybe it's a um, D, all of the above. Well, this is the tip of the iceberg of joy. So to be a bit more concrete, I'll just draw on Dallas Willard's definition of, of joy or how he understands joy, and it goes like this. Joy is not pleasure. It's not a mere sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Joy, hear this again, is a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Therefore, when the psalmist exclaims, we are glad, talking about their present reality, they're inviting any and all, you and me, to defiantly anchor ourselves in God and in his restoring story to return to joy. And I don't think you can really talk about joy without talking about Bono. Uh, Bono has this quote that's kind of reverberated, and maybe it's just the spaces I occupy, but he he calls joy an act of defiance. I love it's a bit punk rock, even though he's not a punk rock artist. Uh, But that idea of joy as an act of defiance, I think it's such an apt descriptor of joy because at a social level, joy begins to erode and even disrupt, according to Bono, defy skepticism and cynicism and even fatalism of our day. The fatalism that says, you know what, we're all just gonna get this thing anyway, so we might as well just go out there, get it and be done with it. joy is defiant to that posture, that tone. But not just, joy isn't just defiant at a social level, it's defiant at a spiritual level. See, it defies the trifecta of evil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world would be the operating powers and principalities opposed to the kingdom of God. Joy defies that. And joy defies our flesh, which is this internal resistance to God. And it also defies the devil itself dismantling its accusations. And if you note there, this is kind of an aside, I didn't really want to credit the, the devil, uh, the accuser, by calling it a he. I think that gives it too much honor. Um, so just note that uh, when, we're, when we're talking about the power of joy. So lest we think joy is easy, let's just it's, see it's, it's much more broad and beautiful and, and miraculous than ease. Here, Henry Nowen's words talking about joy. He says that joy does not simply happen to us. I love that. It's not accidental. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take us away from God. I mean, that's, like, that's a moment where you in your living room are saying yes and amen. Nothing can take us away from God. Joy is an indicator of that reality. And at this point, um, the critics emerge, right? The critics in our own hearts, the critics in our minds. Uh, and, and these critics often call themselves realists, but let's be honest, they are critics. And, and they assault our return to joy. They claim that returning to joy is, ah, it's a bit naive. It's actually a denial of reality. Uh, they'll say it, maybe it's just wishful thinking in a season fraught with challenges. And so far, um, or so often, insofar as my experience bears it out, and I don't have uh, like, a lot of experience, so I could be wrong here, uh, but the assault on joy comes from a place of misunderstanding. It's really a category mistake between happiness and joy. And here's what I mean. Uh, Sandra Brown, who is an expert on pathological relationships, those are challenging relationships, she, she describes happiness as an external phenomenon, so that's outside of you, outside of me, And more specifically, it's based on situations, events, people, places, things, and thoughts. That last one kind of confuses me a little bit because thoughts are also inside. We'll keep going. Let's say it this way. Happiness is based on our happenings. Happiness is based on our happenings. So things like a pandemic, the racial reckoning of our nation, (laughs) the derechos, basically most of 2020 can affect our happiness. Joy, on the other hand, as a pervasive and constant sense of well-being, that reality, that can withstand the assault of 2020. Therefore, to return to joy is not naive or or wishful thinking. To return to joy is rather to anchor ourselves in God, and His restoring story, and from that place, it is a willful trust of God. And it's a willful trust of God in the fullness of reality, in the beauty and in the brokenness. To return to joy, as Nouwen says, is to seek refuge in God. So to the critics, especially the critics of our own hearts in the season, when the world is burning, we can defiantly declare that joy is constant. That is the type of joy that we return to in Advent. And this is key. Joy is not something that we drum up from within. Rather, joy is something that we tap into. And our passage it just so beautifully captures this. Starting in verse one, the the psalmist remembers that the restoration of Israel is significant. He says we, we were like those who dream, or if we were to say it our way, um, it, it was like a dream come true. And then the the psalmist kind of brings that to a climax in verse 3. The Lord, Yahweh, the personal name of God, the covenant name of God, Yahweh has done great things for us. And then our central line, we are glad. That word glad can also be translated joyful. What we see here is that because the Lord has done this and joy extends from God's work, the the line between the two starts to blur and what we see over the scope of the psalm and really the scope of the scriptures is that Yahweh, God himself, is the source of joy. He is the abundant place from which joy overflows. He is the constant source. And his actions, they precipitate joy. He has done great things for us. That's why gladness pervades the psalmist's present. Therefore, to return to joy isn't as a return to, let's say, a psychological concept. Rather, to return to joy is to return to God himself. And I love how Eugene Peterson unpacks this a bit further. He says, we come to God and to the revelation of God's ways. That is how God makes God's self known. Because none of us have it within ourselves, except momentarily to be joyous. Joy is a product of abundance. It is the overflow of vitality. And we try to get it through entertainment. We buy the vitality of another's imagination to divert and enliven our poor lives. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives, never changes our basic constitution. Joy is pervasive, it's constant, it's not fleeting, it's not momentary. Therefore, we ought not be surprised that when we seek joy amidst the happenings of our lives and come up empty-handed, I'm sure that there are things that you can imagine that you have sought joy in and they didn't give you what you were looking for. This is as simple as um, mismatched expectations. I was describing to Logan, who kind of does this whole thing right before this, that um, let's say you're waiting for a package, and so many of us are waiting for packages this time of year. And really, I guess the whole pandemic, that's how our economy is working, is through packages. So let's say you break your phone, and uh, you realize quickly how much of your life is tethered to your phone. And so you order your phone, and it says it's going to get there on Monday. And then you get the notification on your computer uh, that your phone is, uh, wow, it's not going to be here until Friday. So you are waiting. You expected it Monday, but but now Friday is is here. And like, it hasn't shown up. It's the end of the day. The sun is setting. It's still not there. See, see this, is like, this is where we start to confuse like, the things of our lives where we go, oh my gosh, this is affecting the state of my well-being. And, and that disappointment, I want you to pay attention to that disappointment because a disappointment tells us that we've misplaced our hope in a thing. And we've asked that thing to do more for us than it can ever possibly do. So in this little scenario, silly as it is, there is a misplaced hope in a phone being able to enliven, enlighten my life, but it won't. So when its rival doesn't come, I'm found to be downtrodden. (laughs) And hopefully that downtrodden state doesn't lead to a state of despair, but I think you get my point here, is that we ought not be surprised when we seek for joy amidst the happening of our lives and come up empty-handed because joy is not to be found there. And that impulse, it is appropriate, it's right, it's, I would even say, it's this word impulse. The problem is, we've confused joy for happiness along with, well, everyone. And so the scriptures are here to gently invite us to reframe, to reorient our way in God and into his story of restoration. Because God's joy is really counterintuitive. Just con- consider this in verse five. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. In the economy of the world, uh, tears evidence despair, not joy. But God's joy, it's strong enough to hold like a container the full range of human experience and the emotions, there, and the emotions therein. And Fleming Rutledge, in her like seminal work, just this absolutely beautiful work on Advent, uh, captures this so well. And she says this, The disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. So you have the reality of the world being held in tension with the glory yet to come. And she says this to finish this quote, In that Advent tension, the church, we live our life. So I love that Rutledge doesn't dismiss disappointment, brokenness, or suffering. Rather, she envisions another way, a deeper way through it all. That the return to joy is deeper than the surface. This is the Advent tension, and this is the biblical reality that we encounter in Psalm 126. We see it more specifically in verse 4 where the psalmist then breaks out in prayer. It's like calling to mind a verse 1 back here in verse 4, and we see it this way. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams of the Negev. In other words, God, come in the most unlikely of places in the prof- most profound of ways. See, so if, the, if the Negev throws you a little bit, the Negev is the uh, arid desert wilderness in the southern part of Judah, in the land of Israel. And this place would be an uninhabitable place, an inhospitable place. Life would not be there. But when the streams of the Lord come, life breaks forth. Suffice it to say, the Negev is not where one would go to flourish, but in the psalmist's imagination, and pay attention here, God is in the, bris- in the business of bringing new life. So this is a prayer for 2020. This is a prayer for 2020 right here. O oh Lord, restore our fortunes like streams of the Negev. So 2020 feels like a joy drought. There's been little intermittent showers, a couple mists here and there that are like, oh, and and then, no, just pure drought. The soil of our hearts is now dry and cracked, and each wave, each heat wave of uncertainty and change and further restrictions, it comes like, like another unsettling reality, just deepening those cracks, deepening those divides. And it's here where the psalmist's prayer presents a pathway by which we then can return to joy. Because sometimes we say, oh, that sounds nice. I would love to return to joy, but how do I get there? What what, what do I do? What's what's the mode and mechanism? What's the reality by which I move toward God's joy in my present circumstances? This is the pathway. And in fact, I, I think this return to joy This isn't, like, this isn't an abstract thing. We get to see it in living color. See, in the spring of 2005, Chile's uh, Atacama Desert, it's the driest place on Earth. It's certainly one of the planet's most inhospitable places. If you look at pictures of the Atacama Desert, it's like another world. It's almost like Mars. And uh, the spring of that year, they received 15 years' worth of rain in one day. Before that day, it looked like this. See? It's, that's Mars right there. Just rocks, terrain, no signs of life. The blue sky is the most vibrant thing that you're going to see there. And then the rain came. And then, days after the rain came, it looked like this. This is a super bloom. Because buried deep within the cracks of the Atacama Desert was life. the the likes of which had never been seen before, 200-plus species of plants came bursting forth. And this makes me wonder, what might God, by the power of the the Spirit, be secretly tucking away in the cracks and crevices of our hearts in this barren season because he wants to bring out new life? What sort of super bloom of joy might God want to unleash in your heart, in our church, in our city. I'm like desperate for this. 2020 has been a hard year. I've been saying all along, I still believe 2020 could be the best year we ever have. But I tell you what, it is trying. It is a trying year. This gives me great hope To see that in the world around us, the story of God's restoration lives. It is vibrant. And if you feel in this season, in 2020, like death has kind of settled in as just a way of life, it's settled in with political strife and familial tensions. Do I wear a mask? Do I not? Is it a political statement? Is it not? All of this stuff, may you know and may you take heart in this. That though weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. See, this is the reality of the Christian life is that these two things can live in tension. And it just makes me wonder, could COVID-19 and a wave of new infections across the northern hemisphere, could that could that hide a gentle invitation from the Spirit to return to joy this Advent? I, th- I think so. I can't answer that, I'm not the Holy Spirit. He's present to you and with you. Um, But I think so. And the lingering question of how remains. And what's beautiful is, is, you know, the psalmist couldn't see what we see. We have the whole corpus, the whole collection of the scriptures. We we have, in the New Testament, the the biography of Jesus' life and ministry. We have the apostolic witness. We have the letters that go out to encourage the church. And in that space, we actually find this in Hebrews 12. We read this. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. That's that's it right there. Looking to Jesus. Or other translations might say, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's a that's a corporate hour who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus has ultimately returned to joy. If you don't know this, we are in this Advent season taking a brief hiatus from the gospel according to Mark. And in the gospel according to Mark, what we see time and time again is that Jesus is not just announcing verbally that the kingdom of God is at hand. He is embodying the reality. He's feeding the poor. He's clothing the naked. He's healing the eyes of the blind. He's restoring those who are on the margins of society. He is the truly human one. And at the pinnacle of his life, when he has the most social capital, has the most power to leverage, he lays it down. Or as the author of Hebrews says, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Or to say that another way, didn't give a rip. Jesus has ultimately returned to joy. He is seated. The the position of a finished work at the right hand of the Father on high, but his presence to the Father is not an absent reality to us. You see, rather, in John's gospel, Jesus himself says that it is better that he go away so that he might send another helper, the Spirit, or or, uh, the way I I love the Spirit being described as God's personal presence. So Jesus goes away because it's better to send his personal presence to all who receive him by way of faith and trust and allegiance. And now God is present to any and all who receive him to be with us and in us. And just hear Jesus himself here. You will be sorrowful. Now, Jesus is talking to his closest friends, certainly about his departure. So there is a real uh, narrative context within which this story takes place. And yet the absence of Jesus, he says, you will be sorrowful. There is disappointment and despair and sorrow in the world. But look at this, but your sorrow will turn into joy. See, the journey to joy is through the cross. It is the endurance of the cross. In the gospel according to Mark, elsewhere there in chapter 8, the statement comes forward, pick up your cross from Jesus' lips and follow me. That is the way of apprenticeship to Jesus because the cross is not the end. At the cross, we are able to say with the psalmist, the Lord has done great things for us. We are, present tense, glad, joyful. I love how the prophet Isaiah said this, and where we, many scholars think that there's this kind of back and forth dialogue in the Hebrew imagination between Isaiah and the psalmists and what's going on here. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 51:11: everlasting joy. Will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is the hope. This is the anticipation with which Isaiah waits, and this is what is realized in Jesus. He comes and he endures, and he now has returned to joy, but he has now turned his face to the church, to his bride whom he loves, to you and to me, to make our joy complete. Do do you know that? That the living Christ lives to make your joy complete in the presence of the Father. Pervasive and constant is the joy of God. It is not fleeting. It is not momentary. And what that means is that in this and in every trying moment, we can return to joy because joy has shown up to us in the spirit of the living God. This is what we have in God through Jesus and empowered by the spirit. And it's with that reality in hand that we just might be able to turn to the tune of the day And utter words like this, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room in heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sin and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. This is the Jesus we wait for. This is the one we long for, the joy of God come to us in the face of Jesus. So let us pray, let us seek our Jesus. Jesus, you are faithful, you have come and you will come and you are present to us in your spirit and so I pray that for this church, and this moment, you awaken a spirit of unity and harmony that shapes the imagination of the city to see the beauty of the gospel, to see that you, Jesus, are king and no one else. Reign in us, I pray. Amen. (laughs)